If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and I've titled this sermon today, The Mind of Christ. The Mind of Christ. In 1543, a scientist named Copernicus proposed and demonstrated this revolutionary idea, a concept that would set the world of science on end. Prior to the time of Copernicus, the most brilliant minds, the most brilliant astronomers on the planet believed that the universe was framed around the world, that we were the center of all the universe. The sun came up and it went down. The moon and its rotation around the sun. The planets in orbit all around the earth. And every shred of scientific evidence to that point and all the experience that they had supported this idea. Then, against all this certainty, Copernicus said that the earth is not the center of all things. And everything doesn't revolve around the earth, but it revolves around the sun. Everything in our universe or in our environment revolves around the sun. And this idea eventually led to astronomers reordering all of the planets in the celestial bodies to reflect something similar and more aligned to what we know today. It was a huge paradigm shift for them in that day. But as great as that paradigm shift was, it's nothing compared to the revolutionary idea proposed and demonstrated over 1,500 years earlier by a carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus. When Jesus arrived on scene, the issue of the day wasn't the orbit of the planets, but rather how people measured greatness. When Jesus arrived on scene, some of the most brilliant minds of his day measured greatness by a standard that revolved around one's self. How much of life can we control? How much wealth one possessed? How many people people commanded? How much power a person wielded? Greatness was a matter of of self-advancement and self-distinction. The world was framed around one's self. Then Jesus comes along, and in the face of this self-centered philosophy, he declares that there's a better way, that there's a different standard of measurement, that there's a different economy called God's economy. And in God's economy, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. In God's economy, the greatest among you must be the servant of all. Jesus not only declared this, but he lived it. Then he made the statement that if a man will come after me, he must first deny himself. And then take up his cross and follow me. And this was Christ's personal invitation to us to experience life in him. From our text today, Paul invites us to take a look at the life of Jesus. And for those of us who are 
in Christ, this hymn that we're going to unpack today paints a perfect picture of life in Christ and what it's supposed to look like for us. I'm going to tell you in advance, this, this text is packed with theological truth, and so I'm going to be very deliberate and very methodical today to unpack this passage of Scripture. And some of the things that I'm going to say is going to sound like a repeat, but as we unpack the Scripture, you'll see that it's not. And I want you to approach this passage even long-seasoned followers of Christ, as if you've never heard it before, and let it be a fresh, renewing water and rain on your soul. Philippians chapter 2, let's pick it up in verse 4. Paul writes, Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul begins this text by saying, don't just look at your own interest and your own needs, but look also on the interests of others. And then he says this, have this mind among yourself. Have this mind and attitude of Christ-likeness and unity and humility. It's an attitude that really begins with, with each one of us individually and then spreads to an attitude that collectively, as an entire community, we take this attitude as part of who we are in our community. Walk in humility, humility and unity with each other, and then ultimately it spreads out to the world around us. It's an attitude of the mind, but more it's an attitude of the heart. And so this mind that Paul speaks of reflects the heart and the passion of Jesus. And he says, since we are in Christ, everybody say, in Christ. Since we are in Christ, we are called to the same mind. We are called to demonstrate the same heart. So from our text today, I want to show you four, three ways. Three, my Lord. You guys ever see Shrek? I want to show you three ways today that Jesus demonstrated his heart for us. The first demonstration of his heart is that he let go. He let go. He possessed something that, that was rightfully his. He was rightfully entitled to, but yet he didn't fight for it. 
As a matter of fact, he refused to fight for it. Verse 6 says that though he was in, for, in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't fight for it. This verse raises a, a huge and very important theological question. What is meant in this statement by, by he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped? Think about grasping. There are two different ways to grasp something. The first is, you know, like if, you, if you're, you know, maybe if you're slipping or you're falling or something and, and you know, you got to grasp onto something just to cor correct yourself. Or maybe, you know, you're supposed to hang on to something that gets away from you so you grasp for it. And my, I love my grandson. He plays with me on Sunday morning. Man, that rascal wears me out on Sunday afternoon, I tell you. So we're running down the stairs the other day, and he's running in front of me, and he's about ready to fall. And so I grab him. I just grab him really quick to him, just to stabilize him to keep him from falling, grasping. But then there's another form of grasping, and I believe that it's this form that Paul is talking about. It's, it's grasping to grab a hold of, to try to control something, to hang on to something. I believe that Paul is speaking in, the, in this passage here about personal ambition. So he says, Jesus, though he was in the very, he was the very nature of God, did not count equality with God, something that he had to hang on to. Paul is talking about equality in this verse. That's what I don't want you to miss. He's talking about equality. He's, he's not talking about the nature of God. He's talking about prerogative. He's talking about privilege. You see, when Jesus walked the earth as the Son of Man, when you look at that, at that, at that, um, that statement, son of man, you'll see that everywhere in the Bible is capitalized. And what it means is son of God of man. When Jesus walked this earth as a man, he was God in nature, taking on human flesh. He was still God in nature, but in his humanness, because he was a human being, he was an he was on. He wasn't omnipotent. The human side of Jesus was not omnipotent. Jesus the man. So when you look at this text and, and you see Paul saying that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to hang on to, he's talking about he didn't consider equality with God something to hang on to as if he could lose it because he couldn't lose it. He was by nature God, in human form, in human flesh. But he let it go. The Bible says in verse 7 that he emptied himself. What do I mean by that? What does that mean? He emptied himself of what? He emptied himself of his prerogative. He emptied himself of privilege. He refused 
to live as deity as long as he walked in the flesh. That's the first demonstration. The second demonstration of the heart of Jesus is that he stepped in. He stepped in. See, as a man, as a man, everybody say as a man. As a man, he would no longer be omnipotent. He wouldn't be all-powerful. As a man, he would no longer be omniscient. He wouldn't be all-knowing. As a man, he would no longer be omnipresent. He wouldn't able, be able to be every place at the same time. For the first time in eternity, he would live under his father's authority, operating only in the power of the Holy Spirit. God in the flesh empties himself and he steps into our pain as human beings. What I mean by pain is he moved, he moved into another's place of need. How did he empty himself? You see, Jesus didn't come down here in human form as a king or as a ruler of some sort. But he came down, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Mm. Now listen, I want you to look closely at this verse. And if you write in your Bibles, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the word form here. I want you to circle the word form here in, in verse 7. The form of a servant. The form of what? A servant. Now I want you to go back up. I want you to go back up to verse 6, and you see that word form again. See where it appears? He says, he says here in verse 6, who though he was in the form of who? He was in the form of God. And here's the point. Rather than seeing his divine privilege as something that he had to hang on to, rather than coming down here and setting himself up as a king or a ruler, he lays down everything, takes on the form of a servant, a slave. The way Jesus emptied himself is, is not by giving up anything. It was by taking on something. Listen, Jesus, for the first time in all of eternity, took on limitation. He made himself a servant and took on the limitation that we experience. We don't experience it, but he did in his day. Think about the limitations of a servant. He took that on. Then he took on the limitation of being a man. Here's the point. At any time, Jesus could have chosen his ex to exercise his authority as God. But he refused. 
he emptied himself of his, of his divine rights by refusing to exercise them as long as he was here in the flesh. And listen, he did it for us. He did it for us. He stepped into our need. He's God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. Matthew chapter 4, verse, verse 3, we find Satan coming to Jesus to tempt him. And, and he, says, he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God. Now listen, that's a first-class conditional clause, which means Satan's not questioning if Jesus is the Son of God. He's making the statement, since you are the Son of God. Since you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now listen, listen to this. I never, I never saw this before until I started studying this. Listen to what Jesus says to Satan in this moment. Jesus answers him and says, listen, he says, man, man, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus is talking to Satan as a man. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Because Jesus also knew that he was fully God, but yet he was fully man. I don't know about you, but I, I almost like jumped out of my skin when I saw that for the first time. Okay, let me say it a different way. Okay, I've read this passage all my life. But I never saw the distinction between what Jesus was saying to Satan in that moment. Maybe I'm the only one in here getting happy. Listen, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, had the power and the authority to turn those stones into bread, but he refused because he came in the likeness of man. And, and, and Satan knew in the temptation that if he could get Jesus one time to operate as deity, to operate in his divine authority, he would destroy God's plan of redemption of man. Why? Because the law, in order for Jesus to be our atonement, in order for Jesus to be the, the propitiation for our sin, he had to be fully man operating only as fully man under the authority of his Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. No rights, no reputation, surrendering of his will, the release of his own personal agenda. Only his Father's will. Somebody ought to say amen. You know, this is an amen church. The redemption of man back to the Father was, was Jesus' purpose. And it was more important to him than his rights and his reputation and his will and his agenda. He laid all of those things down so that he could step into humanity, so he could step into our pain. God, man, God himself in human form, taking on the form of a servant. And then being found in human form, he, 
He humbled himself, verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now listen to this. Because here's what's true. The Son of God, the, the Son of God, God the Son had never had to be obedient to anything or anyone ever. He's God. Hmm. But he humbles himself. He humbles himself. How does he do that? By becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And that humility leads me to the third demonstration of Christ's heart for us. And that is that he finished the work. He finished the work. See, the, the, first, the first demonstration, the first demonstration of Christ speaks to his ability to be faithful to us. The first demonstration speaks to, well, let me go back and look at it. it. Speaks to privilege. The second demonstration speaks to pain. Now, I know y'all got quieted, and it's okay. Aren't we family? Is the pastor allowed to make a mistake every now and then? Yes, I am. And if you think that I'm an infallible man, let me tell you that I am not. All you got to do is just be around me for a little while. You'll see. Yeah. So the third, the finished work speaks to the perseverance of Jesus. Death on the cross applies to this phrase, the likeness of men. It was done in human flesh as a punishment for something. When the crime was, was committed that was punishable by, by death, it was a human life that was required by the law. And so if Jesus was to take on the sin of the world, he would have to be obedient to the law. To fulfill the law, he must die. So God in the person of Jesus Christ becomes a man comes down and becomes a slave and suffers the most abhorrent death that could be suffered in that time. Death on a cross. A method of execution reserved for the lowest of low, reserved for the scum of the earth persons of society. Jesus died that death. He suffered and he died that death. I want you to think about something. Think about the contrast between where Jesus was, what he let go, and what he stepped into. Think about the contrast of what that looks like versus where he was. And you'll see the contrast is immeasurable. 
It's immeasurable. There's no greater distance than that that is between the throne of God and the cross of our redemption. No greater. He went the distance. So because he did, what does God do? What is the result of Christ's obedience and humility? Verse 9 tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father bestows on him not just a name, but the name. The name that is above every name. Up until this time, the name that was above every name was Yahweh. God. But now, as a result of Jesus' action, he's given a name above every name so that at the name of Yeshua, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The Father, God the Father, is so pleased with the action of Jesus that the Father exalts the name of the Son even above his own name. And then the Father glorifies himself through the exalted name of Jesus Christ. Worship team, you can come up. So here's the message from this text today. Here's the thing I want you to hear. Just as Paul was encouraging the church in Philippi when he wrote this letter, he's encouraging the church today. He's encouraging us to do what Jesus did. And that is refuse this entitlement mentality that comes to us as we, as we learn how to be comfortable, cozy Christians. Refuse this entitlement mentality that says, the way of God is prosperity and there'll never be suffering. God wants us to prosper. Paul says, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your suffering. There's, an, there's another side. So Paul is trying to tell us to get rid of this entitlement mentality. Jesus Christ emptied himself and poured out his life so that others would receive life in him. And I'm telling you, family, he wants us to live that same kind of life in him. He's calling the church to a life that's poured out. I want to close today by reading you the words of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a, was a German theologian who poured out his own life at the hands of Nazi Germany and the Nazis because he refused to allow the church to be a tool of oppression. Here's what Bonhoeffer wrote. He said, the church 
is the church only when it exists for others. The church must share in the secular problems of ordinary human life, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must not underestimate the importance of human example, which has its origin in the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ poured out his life for us. And our Savior, the one that that we follow, the one in whom we are his disciples, calls us to do the same thing. And so next week, we're going to take a look at two passages of Scripture that's going to give us practical application how to do that in our daily lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being your son. Thank you for the privilege, Lord Jesus, of being an heir with you, joint heirs with my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that as your word settles in our hearts that we will be reminded of everything that you've done for us, how you sacrificed your life for us so that we could imitate your life and duplicate that sacrifice through our lives in the lives of others. Help us as a local church family and as part of the body of Christ to be mindful that that is the reason why you came. Pray those things in Christ's name. Amen.